Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. All right, so uh, we're in this series, and uh, we realize that in life, we oftentimes um, kind of live our lives just intuitively. And, and, but the question is, where does the intuition come from? Where, where do we get the, the kind of MO we operate with uh, on maybe a subconscious level? Uh, so there are certain things about life that we just assume to be true. There are certain things that even if on a conscious level, we might not assume to be true, uh, but, but we live our lives according to them. And, and we need to confront some of them because some of them aren't true. So for example, we live in a, a capitalist society in which um, we find that um, if you have more, uh, you're more successful. If you have more, life is better. We just believe that. We, we never really talked about it, never really decided to believe that, but we just, we just do. If you have more, you're more successful, and life is better. Um, it might shock you to find that there are some societies in history where they believe if they had more children, life was better. And if you have teenagers right now, you will not believe that, but it's... Um, so. So one of the things we're doing in this series is we're trying to confront some of the some of the issues that we live according to on some level, maybe not aware of it, and just say, no, that's not true. There's a different way to live your life. There's a better way to live your life. And if you'll be intentional about it, God will, God will give you a different kind of life, uh, an even better life. And so today my topic is uh, living for self and stuff is short-sighted and superficial. Uh, living for self and stuff is short-sighted and superficial. And Jesus... <laughs> had this interaction with these two brothers. Dad died, and uh, they're fighting over the inheritance. That happened in ancient uh, times. It doesn't happen anymore like that. But Jesus has some interesting things to say. It's found in Luke uh, chapter 12, starting verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Which is kind of a weird response. And uh, then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but it's not rich toward God. So I have, I have, some, I have three warnings and three encouragements today. The first warning is, is just remember, um, uh, well, let me, read, let me read something for you, and, and I'll let him tell you. Uh, a guy named John Ortberg uh, wrote a book, and it was a great book about perspective on life. In this book, he begins the book by talking about, and, and, I, and John has spoken here a number of years ago, um, about his grandmother who taught him to play Monopoly. And she would always win. Uh, and then he writes this. By the fall, we, when we sat down to play, I was more ruthless than she was. My palms were sweaty. I would play without softness or caution. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to. Slowly, cunningly, I exposed the soft underbelly of my grandmother's vulnerability. Relentlessly, inexorably, I drove her off the board. The game does strange things to you. I can still remember. It happened at Marvin Gardens. I looked at my grandmother. 
This was the woman who had taught me how to play. She was an old lady by now, a widow. She had raised my mother. She loved my mother as she loved me. And I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give up her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. It was the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> Says this. I had won. I was more clever stronger, more ruthless than anyone else at the table. I was the master of the board. But then my grandmother had one more thing to teach me. The greatest, greatest lesson comes at the end of the game. And here it is. In the words of James Dobson, who described this lesson for Napoli in playing with his family many years ago, now it all goes back in the box. All those houses and hotels, all that property, boardwalk, park place, the railroads, the utility companies, all those thousands of dollars when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. I think one of the misunderstandings we have about money, wealth, possessions, at the end of our lives, it all goes back in the box. If that's how you keep scoring life, it's too bad. Back in the day, they used to have what we called yuppies. I might have been one of them. Yuppies had a saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. I realized that he who dies with the most toys is dead. It all goes back in the box. Jesus says to these guys, he said, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Here's the problem. The inheritance is not the problem. We're all looking at the inheritance. and We're looking at the boy. Has nobody noticed the guy's dead? He did leave something for the boys, but not what he thought. He left an inheritance, which they're fighting over. What he didn't leave them was the ability to understand the relationship is more important than money. See, the real telling thing in this parable is that they were all about the money and not about the relationship. Dad had left a legacy. It was material. It was not relational. It wasn't the right values. It wasn't the ability to see what was important. It was just stuff. That's where the problem begins. The reality is it all goes back in the box, and if that's how you keep scoring, that's the legacy you're going to leave, it's sad. Your life was intended for so much more. Here's what Matthew 6, 31 says. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, <laughs> the pagans, by the way, he's making a real clear thing. There's two ways to live. One is for your stuff, and one is for God. And he's going to lay that out really clearly. If you spend your whole life for your stuff, for your wealth, for your acquisition, for whatever. If you live your whole life doing that, you're in the wrong kingdom. That doesn't pay off. Then there's another way. So he goes on. Pagans are after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what, that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. That's the other way to live. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It all goes back in the box. We start with that. It is, not, it is not eternal. Second thing is, is that commodities won't make you happy. happy. Stuff. Commodities won't make And don't make yourself a commodity. So what does that even mean? In verse 14, first he tells them, he tells them, guys, the problem is um, it, it, it's, not, it's not about settling these kinds of things. And he says, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? So here's the deal. Why did he say that? Why didn't he just say, split it in half and call it good, right? Because he didn't want to get involved because it didn't matter. Because these guys were, so why did Jesus come? Jesus came to redeem all of humankind for all of time. And these two wanted him to settle a dispute about money. 
Jesus is going, <laughs> and here's what Jesus did. He did what he always does. He looks at the issue and goes, let's go deep with this, shall we? I'm not going to settle the money thing. I'm going to look at your hearts. I'm not going to talk about this superficial thing. Let's talk about your hearts. And here's what's in your heart, greed. And he gives him a warning about greed. He says, you know, I'm, but he won't answer the first one. He won't answer. He won't, he won't get involved in the silliness of it. Here is, I, here's what I take away from this. Jesus wasn't going to get involved in superficial things. You and I have majored in superficial things. Our entire society, the culture we live in, capitalism itself may be based on superficial things. And if we will go, what, would, what legacy would Jesus have left if he'd just gone around settling disputes? Oh, you and your sister can't get along? Okay, it's 40, 60. Okay, you half and half. Okay, he just spent his whole time doing that. That's not what he came for, and he wouldn't have achieved what God wanted him to accomplish on the earth. You and I, however, not realizing that we were put here for something more, we spend our whole life going, okay, we're splitting bills and, and, we're, and we're taking care of this and we're, and, we're doing, and we're acquiring stuff. And God's going, but I had so much more. Why did you settle for superficial things, for material things? He said, I'm not going to settle your dispute because that's unimportant. Jesus wasn't here to do that. Um. We have bought into a system, without really knowing it, that just says, if I've got more, um, I'm better than you. If I've got more, I'm better than you. Now, we were talking about the staff. We had a, a teaching meeting. We were, talking about, and we were talking about, I'm the oldest guy in the room, and so I'm the boomer representative. And then we got a Gen X, and we got, we got millennials. And, um, and so we were talking about how people um, were proud or showed off their, their wealth to impress other people. And so they were saying, now, how did you do it back in the yuppie days? And, well, you drove a certain BMW and you wore a Rolex and, and you got a cell phone that was about that big. And, uh, and, and then you could, you know, you, I remember the first time a friend called up from the parking lot to tell me who was there to, for our lunch appointment in his BMW, red BMW, as I recall. I said, wow, this guy's made it, man. He's, and so they were saying, no, no, we don't do it that way anymore. It's much more subtle. We take a selfie in our Patagonia in the Andes. Right? So we're much more subtle than you. But that picture in the Andes is all about the fact that I can afford to go to the Andes and wear Patagonia. Right? And so I was thinking about this overnight. I was there, they were talking about how, how it's still the same. I've got more than you, so I'm better than you. Or I've got better, I go better places than you, so I'm better than you. And I was thinking about, yeah, we didn't take selfies back in the day because we didn't have that option. But you could come back with a tan if you lived in Chicago in the middle of the winter. You know what that says? I can afford to go to Florida. And you can't. Ha ha right? So we spend this whole thing thinking on some level, trying to impress people. So, so if A, we think things will make us happy, we're wrong, and we begin to realize we're wrong, then we can decide if I can make people think that I'm happy because of the things I have or the places I can go or whatever. I, if I can make people think, then I'll be happy because at least they'll think I'm happy and then I'll be happier. And so we not only seek for commodities to make us happy, we then become a commodity ourselves. It's our branding, if you're on social media, you have a brand. You may be hyper-intentional about it. You may not be intentional about it. But you are trying to sell some picture of you that if you can't be happy on your own, you at least convince people you are. And then if you take it to the next evolution of that, you will make money off of that image that you are selling. You can project an image. You can project a brand, but it won't provide you the calling and the identity you're searching for. 
all this stuff you can project on social media or whatever it is, but it won't do what you're... Here's why Jesus said, I'm not going to solve that dispute for you because I'm not called to solve silly disputes. I am called to save the world. In life, you keep settling for stuff and more stuff, and then you become stuff, and so you can get more stuff. That will never leave you anywhere but empty. But when you discover who God made you to be, why he put you on this earth, that he loves you, when you discover that and you begin to live according to calling, life begins to have meaning, the potential for joy, hope, happiness. Those things become a reality and not just a pretension to be something. So here's the deal. I read this thing. Uh, our, 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 over the summer, our elders read a book, and there was this phrase in the book that just stuck with me. It's just a powerful phrase. Most of the book I didn't get. I'm not going to lie to you. It was way over my head. But there was, a, and it was just kind of a throwaway phrase. And it said, in the search for who we are, we have created a curated self. A curated self. You know, you know what a curator does? A curator puts together certain, like if it's art, they put together certain art that'll look great in a show together. They curate art. We have curated our lives so that it looks good. But behind the facade of the curated look that we present to the world is emptiness because there's no meaning. We have no purpose for being here. Because once you acquire some stuff, you realize this stuff isn't enough because you're going to want more stuff. And if you're smart, you'll eventually realize there can't be enough stuff. And enough people liking you, likes, follow, trend. By the way, if I ever trend, we're in trouble because it means I will have done something extremely stupid. <laughs> that stuff doesn't do it either because behind that is emptiness as well. A curated self versus a called self. Think about that. I'm trying to put together stuff that makes my life look so certain. Over here, I'm just trying to be who I'm supposed to be. And I trust that God has a reason for me being that person that there's a purpose for me to be here, that there is some impact I'm supposed to have, and that will bring me joy and happiness. And it's other-centered, not self-focused. But stuff leads us to the wrong kind of thinking about ourselves and about why we're here. Um, You are not what you own, and you should not be owned, and you need to be called. Um, Commodities won't won't make you happy. by the way, in case um, some of you are here and you kind of tend toward this thing over here and you think you're going to be able to get enough stuff or enough zeros on your bank account or whatever it is, and you kind of tend toward workaholism, I read this this week. I thought it was rather harsh, but I'm going to share it with you anyway, just in case you've missed the point. All those long hours, days without sleep, months without vacations, years not spending time with your family will be fondly remembered by your wife's next husband. That hurt. That was a little painful. She doesn't want your stuff. The kids don't want your stuff. They want you. We'll get to that in a moment. So it all goes back in the box. You are not a commodity, and commodities will not make you happy. And then just remember, this stuff is temporary. Here's what he says in in verse 15 when he finally answers them. He goes right to the heart issue. I'm not worried about your little argument. What I'm worried about is your hearts because your hearts are corrupt. He then said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. The word greed could be translated coveting. All kinds of coveting. Rich can do it. Poor can do it. We all find ourselves coveting, coveting on some level. And the truth is that coveting is a sin. 
because what coveting is, in essence, for a Christian, what coveting is, is saying that God doesn't know what I really need and he's not paying enough attention to provide what I really need. Therefore, I need to choose what I need and go get it. And I'm upset that I don't have it. Um, and coveting is such a deep part of who we are that we, we, we just see what somebody else says, and we don't even think about it. I say, I wish I had that. Well, that's coveting. I wish I had that. My uncle had a great uncle who used to say, man, I really like that. I wish I had one of those. And I wish you had two more, just like it. As if that let him off the hook for coveting, right? Here's how sick coveting. I'm going to tell you the truth about me. It's gonna, I know you're going to think even less of me than you already do. I struggle with coveting, but in a sicker way than you do. Because I covet what other churches have. So I will drive by a church and I'll go, oh, that's cool. And it's not like, oh, that's a good idea. We ought to do that. It's like, why do they get that and I don't? Why do they have that? Why, why don't we have that? I mean, wouldn't, let's be honest. A waterfall would be pretty nice on this campus. <laughs> would it not? How about a water slide? Even better. What about that? So, <laughs> there's this, this ministry thing that I have in the back of my mind. It's been there for a while. And, and, and uh, an acquaintance of mine is getting to do, their church is getting to do this ministry. And we haven't been able to, just haven't get, been given the opportunity. And so I'm driving down the road and I'm thinking about how unfair it is that they get to do it and we don't get to do it. And I have this crazy little voice in the back of my head that goes, maybe it's not my will. And I said, get thee behind me, Satan. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, I just turned the radio on really loud. And then the voice came again. What if it's not my will? What if it's not my will now? What if it's not my will ever? Have I not provided enough? Have I not given you more than you ever deserve as a church? Have I not given you privilege and opportunity to minister to people in ways you never dreamed of? Why is that not enough? Coveting, and here, here's the part I really hate it. Coveting is a sin. Now, here's how messed up I am. I almost respond to that voice by saying, yeah, but I'm coveting for you, God. <laughs> what? You're sinning to help the kingdom. That's a good one. <laughs> Whoa, you are messed up, dude. The truth is, when I covet, I am saying to God, what you've given me is not enough. Now, I'm not saying we don't work hard for our income or uh, we don't work hard in ministry around here, but it's saying God isn't taking care of me. His provision is not enough, which is ingratitude, which is presumption, which is pride, which is sin. The reality is God has been better to you than you deserve. The fact that you're breathing and sitting upright today. You did nothing to be born on this earth. You are not responsible for having been here. You're only responsible for doing with what God has given you something that matters. And so we find ourselves coveting. What he saw in these two brothers was they were greedy, man. They were greedy. By the way, a, a close cousin to coveting is comparing. Right? We compare. It's really, the thing about money and possessions is it's really a good way to keep score. Right? The problem with the whole yuppie thing, he who dies with the most toys wins. The reality of that is he who dies with the most toys is still dead. Right? It's not, about a, it's not about winning the game. 
You were created for something more. Comparing, by the way, interesting thing about comparing, we love to compare. When we compare our financial situation, we always compare to somebody a little bit ahead of us because it feeds the narrative that if I had just a little bit more, I'd be that much happier. What's funny is when we talk about ethics and morality, we always compare ourselves to somebody beneath us. Isn't that weird? We're never told in Scripture to compare. We're told in Scripture to follow Jesus and to know that he'll take care of you and he will guide you. Um, stuff is temporary. What, what, if you just, what if you just walked around today and, and, and um, you just had two, two little sticky note pads and you just put a sticky note on everything in your life, your house, your car, kids, wife, boyfriend, whatever it is, and, uh, and the two sticky notes, and, and it's one of two. One says eternal and one says temporary. By the way, don't put the uh, temporary on the boyfriend's forehead. <laughs> um, the reality is, and then compare it to your schedule. What am I spending the most time and energy on, the temporary or the eternal? We spend an inordinate amount of time on the temporary, paying the mortgage, buying the car, when in reality, it's the eternal that matters, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what's eternal. We need to look at things and remember that the stuff is temporary. We don't need to covet it. We don't need to invest ourselves in it. Here's what he says. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I'll never forget where I learned that passage. I was in college. We, I was home for the weekend, brought all my laundry, went to church on Sunday morning with my family. Our house burned down while we were gone. We drove back into the drive. was out in the country, drove up the long driveway in the snow, and there's this just black rubble where there was once a house and all of our possessions. And my mom, without a tear and without a hesitation, quoted this passage. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I will never forget that. She, there was no, there was no, there was sadness that she had lost some stuff, but there was, there wasn't a hesitation. Whatever God gives you, hold it loosely. You'll be better off. Um, let's just be logical about this. Temporal stuff, temporary stuff, is not a good investment. If it is going to decay, it is. Here's what Matthew six says: Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin, vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reality is to invest in temporary things is silly. To invest your time, your energy, your affection in things that won't last, that are not of eternal value. I, uh, I, this, this is interesting to me because I, I, a number of years ago, my mom took me, I went down to the Ozarks where my grandparents had lived and uh, my grandfather died, but I wasn't able to be there for that. But I was able to make it there later, a few months later. And my mom uh, took me to the back porch of their house where it was laid out a table my grandfather had been many things, cowboy, barber, all kinds of things, but, but he ended up mostly being a construction guy, a contractor and, uh, and a foreman and, and, and a carpenter. And laid out on this table on the back sun porch were all of his tools, and I was instructed that I could have two out of all of his tools, which kind of ticked me off because I'm the only one that works of wood. Of all my cousins and everybody, I was the only one that would appreciate what most of these were. So I picked one out that I didn't know what it was because I figured I'd, I'd learn later. And... Uh, I was thinking about that. 
And this week I was thinking about that day when I went and did that. And I was thinking about the fact that I have a bunch of tools and, and, uh, and that probably about an hour and a half after I'm dead, um, they're going to lay all my stuff out. And some unworthy, unappreciating relatives are going to show up who don't, who don't get what most of the stuff even does, much less where I got it or that I personally restored it or who gave it to me and what its use is. And all they're thinking is, what can I get for this on eBay? I'm already mad about it, and it hasn't even happened yet. I'm, I'm already ticked off. I'm not going to lie. Your stuff. going to go in a garage sale. One of the things I love doing is I love taking old tools that somebody once used and loved, and somebody put it in a garage, and it's all rusty now. I like to restore it to its original. Kind of, I like doing that. But the reality is most of your stuff won't get restored. They'll get used up or thrown away or abused or... Let me tell you about my grandpa, though, because the tools that I have for my grandpa, and I have a couple that I have in my shop, very prominent places. Um, but it's not the tools that I remember about my grandpa. Here's what I remember about my grandpa's, because you could stand in that sunroom and see these tools laid out. And yet, back over here, if you knew where to look, out in the pasture, there was a little almost shed, and it was his little shop out in the pasture. And we would go back there where he raised the cattle, and he kept some of the cattle feed in there. And, but he also had his tools, and he had a little pot belly stove where he put the cutoff ends to keep warm in the winter. And we spent hours in that shop. I don't remember a single thing we, be- thing we built. I don't think so. Maybe one. I, but I, it wasn't about the building. It was about Grandpa talking about there what a real man was like, what a real man smelled like. He worked hard. What a real man smelled like, what his attitude toward his wife was, what his attitude toward his children was, what his attitude toward God was. You see, what he did in that shop, he wasn't building stuff. He was building me. He wasn't joining wood together. He was helping me get my act together to who I was supposed to be, to why I was on this earth, to know, to the fact that knowing God was the most important thing I could do and loving family was really close behind that. I learned all that. Those are eternal investments. Not a single thing he built will make it to heaven except me, my family, and the others he invested in. See, the stuff is temporary. But there is a way you can invest for eternity, and it's not in the stuff. Um, we need to invest in and care most about the eternal. Colossians 3 says this, since then, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We spend way too much time thinking about stuff. Think about money. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm saying they're not the priority. They're not the answer you're looking for. The truth is, in most of our lives, materialism is God's main rival for our affections. Materialism, I'll say it again, is God's main rival. Here's what it says in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, Jesus spent more time talking about money and stuff than he did heaven or hell because he knew it had the ability to grab us, to grab our affections, to cause us to try to fall in love with money because we thought it could do for us. Why do you think we give every week? Does God need your money? No, it's to defeat the monster of greed in our lives. To remember, greed is, money is not our God. It won't make us happy. One more illustration. My wife kind of questioned me using this, and so I'm definitely using it today. And uh, a number of years ago, I had a friend who was a mortician. He invited me. He said, you'd like to see the processes? Absolutely. So I went to the mortuary, brought me to 
well-lit back room, cement floors. I won't describe too much more of the scene, but um, the shocking part was sitting, not sitting, laying above this table, kind of up on some little things, was a, a naked body of an older gentleman. He had covered the critical parts, but and they were exchanging the fluids, I'll say it that way, draining what had been there to put what would, would be there for the funeral. And it was, I knew what happened, I knew what happened, but just seeing this guy who had spent so many years alive and living is just naked and dead. And the thought came to me, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave it. Hearses don't pull U-Hauls. It all goes away. And you better have invested in something that lasts. That is the most powerful thing. So now that I've depressed all of you, let me give you three encouragements. <laughs> let me give you three encouragements. Here's what he said at the end of this. He said, uh, but God said to him, you fool. And the reason he's a fool, he invested his life in the wrong thing. Um, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. See, the antidote is to be rich toward God. Let me just give you quickly three things you can do to be rich toward God. Be with God. Be in a relationship with God. Not just once or twice, not just the fire escape and say, okay, I believe and I'm going to heaven. As a relationship, your first calling, I talk about calling, first calling in life is to know God, have a relationship with God. It's through reading his word, it's through prayer. It's through ongoing conversations. Be with God. How are you rich towards someone? Husbands, let me tell you how to be rich toward your wife. It's not the fancy gifts. Those are nice. They'll help, but they won't solve the problem. You'll be rich toward your wife by spending time with her. How, do you, how can you be rich toward your kids? Spending time, not just a little bit, not just quality time, quantity time. Spending time. You want to be rich towards someone? Be with them. My dad was dying, and... Uh, and um, I seem to have a theme going here. I don't know what that's about. But um, he was on hospice, and, and the doctors told him he had three months. And he lived just beyond three months because he was stubborn. He wanted to tell, show the doctor he was wrong. And um, I got a call one day. I called down there one day to see how they were doing. And, and uh, my dad was always like, he, he just couldn't help himself. He just always wanted to say, oh, I'm getting better. I think tomorrow's going to be a better day. But we all knew he was dying. And, and so, but he was always upbeat. And one day he wasn't so upbeat. So oh, that's kind of tough. I'm having, I'm having a bad day today. And, and so uh, I hung up and jumped in my car and I drove there. And I, and I knocked on the front door. My mom opened and said, what are you, I, I, what are you doing? I, 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 you're here. And I walked in and my dad grinned. He go, and he says this, I knew you'd come. <laughs> that was the greatest moment of my life. That was the greatest moment of my life. That my dad knew that I wanted to be with him whenever he needed me because I'm all about my dad. I'm all about my relationship with my heavenly father. He wants to be with me. That's why he created me. Let's just start with that. Be with God. Put it in your schedule. It's the most important thing. Take the eternal stuff. Be with God. Be with family. Spend time in God's word. Put those in your calendar first and let everything, the temporary stuff, flow around it. Be with God. The second one is be content. There's a word that we don't, <laughs> I don't know how to say it at the dinner table. America doesn't know how to say it anywhere. Enough. We don't know how to say enough. 
We have been so inculcated on some level, we believe with all of our heart that more will fix it. The itch for more. John Ortberg's grandmother said this, no one ever made an itch go away by getting good at scratching. See, because there's another issue there. There's something else there. You can't scratch the more itch enough. There has to be something else. I, re I recently read a study of amputees. So they took a group of people who as adults had had some disease or an accident and had to have an amputation of one of their limbs. And two years after that fact, and they took lottery winners two years after winning the lottery. And they did a happiness survey. Who do you think was happier? Well, you know, because it's in a sermon. These lottery winners, it wouldn't be good for this sermon, would it? <laughs> Truth is, the amputees were just happy to be alive. They were grateful for another moment, breathing, interacting with people, and experiencing fresh air. The lottery winners are almost all depressed because they'd blown most of what they'd gotten and they would never be able to live at that level again. They lived with regret. Reality is you can't scratch the more itch enough. There has to be something else. And here's what Paul says in Philippians 4. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned. He said it twice. I have learned. There's a key for us there. I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he goes on in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It is in his relationship with God. It's in being with God that he learns to trust God. If this is what I have right now, I'm going to keep working hard. I'm going to keep doing my thing. But if this is what God has given me, I can be content in it because he has me in this place at this time with this stuff for a reason. I can trust him. I can be content. You see, the, the attitude of, of being content, it's about the richness of being versus, versus the richness of having. We have somehow come to believe that if I have, the richness of having will make me happy. And again and again, it's proven untrue. But the richness of being, being with God, being who God made me to be, being authentically, sincerely with those around me in light of what God has done and is doing, the richness of being, the richness of being produces people that are more than enough people. The richness of having are the never enough people. We live in a never enough society, but we are called to be the more than enough people because God has given us more than enough. So would you like to end in a fun way today? <laughs> Scared you, didn't I? Well, for good reason. I want you to take your wallet out. Take your wallet out. And if for some reason you don't have a wallet, um, take out your phone because we know you know how to spend money on that. <laughs> take your wallet out. Everybody. And I want, you to, I want you to take it out. And I want you to hold it like this. All right, ready? Bring up that slide. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this together. I read fast, so keep up. Out loud, here we go. This is my wallet. I am not what it says I am. It is not my God. I am not its servant. I will not bow down to it. What it contains is neither good nor bad, but it will destroy me if I fall in love with it. It is meant to be a tool for God's work. It does not belong to me, 
but I am to steward it well. And if I am trustworthy with the resources in it, God will give me greater responsibilities with which to honor him. Lord, help me hold this wallet well and help me never let it take hold of me. Now help me live in your provision. Let me love what is eternal and learn to take joy in every day that you give me. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now that wasn't the weird part. I want you to hand your wallet to a stranger. I know all of you people. Where's the stranger at? Right there, third row. Okay, there we go. All right, I'll just give it to somebody here. Just hang on to that. Okay. All right. Have you got, have you, have you, have you, have you done? Okay. All right. Now we're going to take an offering. And I want you to give like you've never given before. I want you to be so, I'm kidding. Give the wallet back. Let's stand together. <laughs> Let's stand together. Thank you guys so much for being here. God is good to you. Don't forget that. Be happy. Be content. Enjoy all of God's goodness in your life. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.